When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt Bernard, Dave Schrader, Tevin Pittman, Andy Brandt Bernard, Cassie Schrader. That's a great voice there, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> you really sound good. You got a frog in my throat, Tom. Nailed it. <laughs> we'll be right Yell back. at him quick. Tom Bernard. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake, and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Like no lambs I know. Speaking of Ethel Merman. Speaking of (laughs) Ethel Merman, exactly. It's true, we are back. Tim Lammers joins us with nothing but trouble. That's Ethel Lammers to you. Ethel Lammers. <laughs> Ethel Lammers. Or Timmy Merman. Timmy Merman. Whatever, I like whatever that works for you. Ethel Lammer, Timmy Merman. So, did you see any movies over the weekend? I, I, I thought you said on KQ you saw some We did. Movies. We saw Incredibles 2, which was really fun, but it was way too long. And that when you put good. the promos and the short in front of it, oh, yeah. it was well, two hours like, and 35 minutes. Yeah, there's like 20 minutes of promos now. Yeah, they can't do that when you have a three, four, or five-year-old there. It's just not a good idea. No. That's amazing. I, I, you know what? I guess maybe they're just more disciplined about doing that sort of thing at screenings, just knowing that we'd be impatient about it. But well, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's way too excessive. Well, at the screenings, Tim, they only want us to focus on that movie and not worry yeah. about what's coming yep. out next. Yep. That's true. Yeah. You know, they do show. I mean, depending on which studio it is. I mean, if it's right. a Warner Brothers film, you'll see a, maybe a couple trailers for a Warner Brothers. Stuff that's coming up, but that's about it. What else that's did we about see? It. You're not going to see more than that. I've seen a couple of movies. <clears throat> really? What did you see? Uh huh. 
Uh, Adventures in Babysitting. The original? The Breakfast Club. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and you're catching up finally. It's dating yeah, time. that's <laughs> true. Did she make you watch 16 Candles? Only about candles? three decades behind, but you're, you're getting there. Uh, oh, we watched... Uh, how to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Ooh, solid film. Well, solid film. film. Yeah. A Walk to Remember. Is she saying, you've never seen these, you have to see these? Yep. Uh, Did she make you okay. sit through Dirty Day? Dirty dance? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> oh, we, I, we also watched the Italian Job, though. So, oh, well, there you go. Oh, there you go. How about the Piranha? original or the remake? Um, the I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say it was probably 2008. The one with the Audis. Okay, Mar- the Mark Wahlberg version. Yes. Yeah. Is that the is remake. that a remake? Yeah. Ah. Did the original have? The, uh, was the original a car the, commercial too? Yes. It was. Wasn't it uh, Steve McQueen in the original? Uh, uh Michael Caine. My, Mike O'Kane? Mike O'Kane. Mike O'Kane. Mike O'Kane. Cockney accent there, Mike O'Kane. Italian jo- 2003, Cockney. wow, that's yeah. a lot older than I thought. I do remember, though, back then, that Audi was... It, wait, it was an Audi, right? Or was it... What What car was, it, was that entire movie a commercial for? I think the, it was a, like a mini car. Cooper. Mini Cooper. Oh, the Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper. Yeah. Those were so big after that movie came out. Oh, oh Mini Cooper. Yeah. Yep. They when you think of high speed, you think Mini Cooper. You think Mini Cooper. <laughs> well, they had these scenes where they were like driving around in like an aqueduct or whatever, just like mm-hmm. doing all these like uh, acrobatics and stuff in these Mini Coopers, and people were like, "Oh, I didn't know they could do that." And they know. can't. They yeah, they <laughs> can't. <laughs> but. <laughs> Great commercial for that uh, vehicle. Oh, they probably made, they must have made billions of dollars off of car sales from that movie. Yeah. Hugo is wishing that they would have thought about that. Yeah, you got that right. Hugo, oh my God. <laughs> wow. That's a blast from the past. Uh-huh. Um, we did see one other movie, but I can't remember what it was. So it made think, a deep impact. I think we liked it, though. You, we liked it, but we don't know what it was. We did see Love Never Dies at the Orpheum with the... Uh, Oh, it's yeah, the Andrew Lloyd Webber sequel to Phantom of the Opera. And it's so really? Funny. There's mm-hmm. a sequel to Phantom of the Opera? There yeah. is now. Yeah, yes, it, it, it. it was not well received on Broadway. No. So they brought it to Australia and retooled it, and then it came here, I think directly from Australia, and I can see why they didn't like it in not... There was def- There's some <clears throat> odd... Scene changes and just some. Yeah, that's there's true. just some. There, it it was a little rough still. Huh. If uh, they a little bit just left it left it alone after Phantom. Oh, well, I think it's an actual good idea. Could they have created it as a totally standalone without it being any attachment no. to Phantom and made it a good story? <laughs> no. No. It Did happens. they start the play with last time on Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So it, it, is it still a story of Phantom and Christine? Then? Yes. Yep. And yes. by the way, is it like a plastic surgery thing? No. The woman who plays face. the woman who plays Christine does this quivery lip thing all oh, through it. Oh God, she drove me no. crazy. But no. when it came time to sing the song "Love Never Dies," she killed. She it. did. She did oh kill. It was God. really great. She oh, I mean, she warbled a lot. No, no, she, no. She just, just to to look like she was a frightened young girl. Oh. She sat there going. Yeah. It looked like she had some sort of palsy. I was like, well, what's? I'm like, I was so distracted by her mouth. Going, ay, 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 ay. And she had bright red lipstick on. So it was just like, oh my god. But how else do you stop. convey that from and, and convey it to the back of the theater? I they have to do it was, extraordinary it things. It was over the top terrible. <laughs> it was well, very the original Italian job also had Mini Coopers. So oh, there you go. There you go. Though at the time they were just and called Minis. And it was Minis. Michael Caine, right? It was Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yes. Michael Caine, Noel Howard, Benny Hill. That Benny Hill? Benny Hill. Yes, that Benny Hill. That Benny Hill. Benny Hill was wow. in uh, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, too. He, he was, was in a bunch of Chitty movies. Bang yeah. Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, what we love you. Professional wrestler. Right. Oh, he's got his sunglasses <laughs> on. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. No, I mean, there's prescription. I forgot my regular glasses. So like this, I can't see nothing. That's not good. Not good at all. You look like Marty Feldman there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> you take the blonde, I'll take the one on the toy bin. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal. But yeah, the um, it was not a big weekend for movies, which is kind of interesting because it was a big uh, it was a big holiday week. So you would think that the, the yeah, it was the, well, it was soccer the week weirdest. though. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's soccer week in America. Well, outside well, of America, I know though, people everyone. People in Europe are pissed off because they are delaying the release 
of Ant-Man and the Wasp because of the soccer, yep. uh, the World Cup. And so now, you know, they won't see until, I, I, you know, it's only, a, I guess it is about a month, month delay. That's a long time for somebody looking forward to a movie. But, you know, the Ant-Man still did great business for what it is. It's obviously not the level of an Avengers sort of film, though, you know, so... But it, it still did very, very well. Interestingly, though, the the other world superpower that drives Hollywood, China, also doesn't care about soccer. No, they don't care about really? soccer in China. Yeah. They oh, don't. Not really. Asia isn't really a big soccer place, except for Southeast Asia. But they're so small, you know. No, India's pretty huge. That's well, part of Asia. I don't really call count them as Asian. They're Indian. They're their own thing. Okay. Yeah, I would, yeah, I wouldn't really think of Indian people as like an Asian. No, it's like Russians are technically Asian, Asia. but you know, yeah. just so you know. Well, no, I know, but like if you say Asian, you're not thinking of an Indian. Yeah, you're thinking of East person. Asians. That's what I am yes. anyway. Oh. Racists. Yeah, race is all I am. <laughs> That's all I have to say. In Japan, they don't play it, but the, you know what they do in Japan is they also call it soccer. One of the few countries to call it soccer, other than us. Oh, really? They don't call it, why, what do they call it, football? football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Football. <clears throat> football. And in yeah, Japanese, okay. it's called Saka. Saka? Joia? Yes. Saka Joia. Suck it to me. So, yeah, we had we did a bunch of really great stuff on vacation, watched a couple of good movies. on. T- what is that one movie, uh, Rememory? That was good. Oh, that was it. Yeah, Rememory was Rememory. really good. Yeah, with uh, the woman from Downton Abbey. No. That no? was insane. That was insane. Damn it! I don't okay. know anybody. Rememory and insane. <laughs> no wonder I'm getting confused. Rememory had Peter Dinklage, Julia Ormond, Anton Yelchin. Anton Yelchin. Isn't he That's dead? That's weird. Yeah, he died. Maybe that was a movie before his death. Yeah. Oh, it came out in 2017. Ah. Yep. He he was. Matter of fact, they released a bunch of movies recently <laughs> that Anton Yelchin was in, and every one of them dedicated the movie to him and his memory, and it was mm-hmm. very sad. Kid was a hell of an actor. Getting run over by your own car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so tragic. Oh, God. How do you run over by your own car? <laughs> I don't know. Well, wasn't it his well, gate malfunction? Well, on a hill, and then the parking brake slipped, right? Oh, yeah, I okay. think it was a recall issue on those, uh, what was it, a Jeep? <clears throat> yeah, it was a Jeep, yep. Yeah, and like something where, like, when you have your, it thinks it's in, you think it's in park, but it actually oh, okay. isn't. There's something in the transmission. Oh, so, yeah, people were having issues with their cars Going out yeah. of park. And he actually and didn't get run over. He actually got pinned between yep. that oh. and a yes, mailbox uh, concrete oh, got hammered. post or something. Yeah, not good. Yeah. That's terrible. Oh, well, here's the problem. He's Russian. And in Russian, a P <laughs> is actually an R. So he thought it was in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's he thought it would roll up the hill, but. Yikes. But, uh, yeah, we did a lot of stuff, went a lot of places, saw a bunch of nice people. We saw. Dangerous Dave. No, we didn't see Dangerous Dave because Doug forgot to call him. Yeah. 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 We didn't go on the boat, though. We went on a bike ride. So. Oh. Yeah. And we went to dinner at. Uh, we were never even invited onto the boat. Yeah, we never been invited on the boat. Don't worry about our feelings. Don't worry, he'll invite you, but he won't let you know when or where it is. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you're right. 1.1 million of those Jeep Grand Cherokees were recalled because drivers thought that it was in park but it wasn't oh. somehow oh. well it won't engage fully i think is what the issue was right? oh, it says terrible. drivers may mistakenly believe they have engaged the vehicles in park whatever that means well that means the car flaw. isn't working hmm. don't you think that's like engineering number yeah like hey can we park this thing <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just yeah. worried about having a hot board. spot. <laughs> Something had to give. Do we worry about it really being in park or that we can get hot spot in the car? Yeah. Yeah. And my serious radio Bluetooth. works. Like, yeah. How could people think that it was in park? I think they're, park. they're phrasing it improperly. Yeah. I think that what they're telling you is that you would put it in park oh, and it wasn't actually working. engaging. Yeah. Uh, here's a site that describes the problem. He, they, he found a Jeep with a, hadn't like the person hadn't actually recalled it so he could... Check it out. Uh, oh, I see. It's a weird, like, shifter. Basically, it's like, it's shaped like a shifter, but it's more like a like a switch. So, you know how on the dashboard it'll, sh- it'll show, you know, yeah, right. park, drive, et cetera, et cetera. The yeah, exactly, the perndle. Um, but the shifter was basically like an up and down button that you used to select it, but it still had... 
the park and drive and everything printed on it, even though that actually didn't do anything. Oh, that's not a good idea. Okay. So, like, yeah, it would say you push it all the way forward to park, but that wasn't always the case if you did it too fast because it was, yeah. Yikes. That's not See, I just have no time yeah. for design flaws like that. It's <laughs> no, just like, no, you know. Catherine <laughs> will suffer no fools. Miss me with all that design <laughs> flaws. Just, flaws yeah. I'm like, just test it out. Make one and test it out. Well, the problem with that kind of thing is if you know how it works, right? you can't test it as if you didn't no, know how it worked. That's who you have tested, right? Yeah, Somebody that's that, you know, definitely. Doesn't yeah. know how it works. Can't we just hire homeless people to test these vehicles first? So if <laughs> yes. anybody gets injured, it's just them. No, yeah. you're I'll give you 50 ass. bucks to put this thing in park. No, you just have See them do think. it on a field where they're not going to get hurt. You know, that is a that is a good point, though. I mean, yeah, testers within the, the yeah. that are employees, I mean, what's the point? Yeah. Get people that don't know Jack about something and let have them test it. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good idea, actually. It's a really good idea. You're welcome. So, Tim, <laughs> did you like Ant and the Wasp, Ant-Man and the Wasp? I, I liked it a lot. It's, you know, I, again, I know you're not huge on superhero films, but um, did you see the first one or not? Yes. The first, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just different. It's a different tone. It's more of a caper kind of deal. A heist movie was the first one. And this one, again, it's not about, uh, you know, okay, example, the Avengers Infinity War. It's about saving the world, which is much the case of most superhero movies. This is about rescuing uh, Janet Van Dyne, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, out of the quantum realm. It's about one person more or less, and it has one villain. It has Ant-Man and has the Wasp, and then there are other side players. So it's not too many different storylines going on, you know, and drifting off in a different direction. Right. It's pretty compact, and that's what I like about it. It, it These movies are becoming, or, or have been for quite some time, they're just spreading it way too thin with so many subplots, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, on top of that, it's probably the funniest out of all the Marvel movies. You know, and I and that's what you want during a summer popcorn movie. You want it to be fun, light, mm-hmm. and they, because the, the 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 dreadful stuff is still coming for Avengers Part Two, which um, Ant Man will be a part of. So, you know, they just need to rename him. I like different stuff. Yeah, Ant Man is a terrible superhero name. It is it's an awful name. Like, yeah, does he call him like I don't know? Well, but they make, they take Man. shots. They take shots at that in the first movie. Oh, okay, yeah. and that's because at that time you got to remember in the '60s and '70s, uh, DC and Marvel were trying to come up with any superhero name yep. that hadn't already mm-hmm. been done. So you had Spider Man, so you had to have Ant Man, uh, and then there was Yellow Jacket and the Wasp, and and then they oh, they yeah. kept changing them up. So uh, DC already had the Atom, who could shrink like that. Uh, so they had to come up with something uh, and a different take on it. So uh, it's but it's it's a clever uh, clever way of doing it, and even. They they make a comment in the first movie where like Ant Man really can right. we talk about the name and they're yeah. like shut up and and they just kind of motor through <laughs> it so it's a it's fun they they definitely and Paul Rudd was made to play this character I mean he's Paul Rudd yes but it's yes. it's beautifully done and it's so well cast everybody in the in the movie is really well done Michael Douglas and and uh, everybody just uh, Evangelina Lilly I mean it's just a really well done series the two yeah. movies we will yeah take a well, break. what we'll the be... amazing thing is. Michael Douglas, um, they de-aged him for the first one for a scene. Uh, they de-age him again for this. And then they show Michelle Pfeiffer, supposedly, from 30 years ago. I'm wondering how much de-aging they had to do, because she looks exactly the same as she did 30 Whoops. years ago. Oh, she does that. not age. She is stunning. Hmm. We will be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a flow dock. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Right down to Flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at floeintl.com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. 
It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down 77 pounds, and in a couple of weeks, I'll do one more round to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It's on Monday, July 23rd at 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. I'll see you there. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods, too. That's important. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on July 23rd. Just call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Hey, oh, let's go. We are rocking up a storm here at the Tom Bernard Show, no question about it. Um, Dangerous Dave, no, Darkness Dave, (laughs) and Cassie went and saw, when did you see it? We saw The Purge last week. Last week. The first Purge. purge. Yeah, Monday. The first Purge. Not Uh to be confused with The First Purge. Right. The First Purge. (laughs) They did The Purge, The Purge 2, Purge 3, Purge election year, and then that ended the series, and now they had to come back to The First Purge to explain how The Purge began. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe it. The prequel. Right. The prequel, right? Have you seen it, Tim? No, actually, Ant-Man screened the same night as as uh, okay. The Purge. Oh. Right. I figured well, there'd be no overlap. And Dave went to an earlier screening of, of uh, Ant-Man that I couldn't make. It was a daytimer. So, uh, yeah, my first opportunity came on the same night as The First Purge. All right. I will, I will say this. I think I, what they were trying to do, I believe, was cash in on the Black Panther market. Mm. And they, it was, what did you say? It was New Jack City? And Black Panther kind of vibe to it? Yeah, I mean, one of the main guys. I mean, it was like Wesley Snipes in New Jack City. Yeah. So it's like they, the, the whole premise of this, and I thought it was very, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I've enjoyed the Purge movies for what they are, which is just mindless fodder. But th- when they take it to this one, all of a sudden they're taking you to the beginning and the idea of what they're going to do. And they're going to just test it and just test it in this small part of, of New York. And it's for 12 hours. Any crime is okay. And then as they're revealing their hand through the whole thing, they realize, because they've had this psychologist, you know, kind of deem how this is going to go. They think it's going to start off with a flash and then it's going to taper through the night and that everybody's going to go out and try to be crazy. And she starts watching it. There's nothing. Nobody's killing anybody. As a matter of fact, there's purge parties. People are having big rages out in the middle of the street and dancing and they're wearing masks and being weird. And then there's only a few people that are taking it up. And decide uh, to do this. And they've got this great psychopath who's... A great a, psychopath. Well, he's, he's a great character. He's a really cool kind of... Uh, and I know that sounds I weird, but for a serial killer, he, he kind of does this deal. And his name is Skeletor. And um, yeah. then, and I don't like to usually give away the movie on this kind of thing. But they, what they basically reveal as the movie progresses is, we're just going to get rid of the blacks and the undesirables. And when it's not going the way they want, we're just going to send in our mercenaries dressed up in costumes like, you know, skinheads and KKK. And, oh, and we're in an audience oh, that's got God. a lot of African-Americans in it. So as the movie is starting and you're starting to see what's happening, you're hearing that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm shrinking in my chair. I'm like, oh, I'm in the wrong audience because it's all about let's just get rid of the undesirables. And then, of course, you've got the big, bad um, – main drug dealer who kind of runs that area and he's like we're not leaving this is our territory and suddenly the big bad drug dealer who kills people on a normal basis is suddenly the the anti-hero because now he and his army of of drug dealers they're the only ones that are really prepped for this so when they realize the white man is trying to kill them then all of a sudden it becomes a race movie and they open up and now now they've armed themselves to the teeth and they're going to take back their community 
from the drug dealers right. are taking. So now yeah. the drug dealers and the, the oh, scourge of the earth are the heroes in this story because in you know because they've now painted uh, the white middle America businessmen and or not middle America but the high business as these villains, which you know they're doing this and you're like, oh, suddenly you're the good guys in this storyline. But it to me, it felt like they were trying to and they they bring out this main drug dealer guy as kind of the Black Panther character. Mm. He's really kind of smarter than everybody, tougher than everybody, can lead everybody. And it's his character in that whole part is a good part of the story. But it's like you didn't have to have the guys riding in in the KKK cloaks and the skinheads and all of these, you know, it, it just, it to me, it felt like they were pandering, and then they were also looking to start causing racist, well, racial yeah. issues in yeah. a movie theater. Definitely right. sounded like they were. And and it got real uncomfortable Yeah, it sounds sitting insane. in a the theater yeah. like that, just watching you this, and you're just like, it. I'm like, ugh, all right. the black people are drug dealers? Cool. Right. Well, and, and it's, you know, oh, let's get rid <laughs> of the black people that are on welfare. If we can just start purging these uh, people from our society, and we'll no. call this a success if people do this. And they're televising each hit. So oh. people can watch across America, which is also talking to us about how we are in America today and we're, we'll watch any kind of reality TV and yeah. you're watching people as the purge unfolds getting killed and at first people are kind of like repelled by it and then they're kind of oh this is interesting and then they keep watching it for more and more and then when the, the black uprising starts and the war really begins this purge is getting more and more and then the psychologist realizes what's really going on and it just starts turning it it, it takes a very dark turn in that aspect, which, of course, when you're looking at the Purge movies, it does. But I didn't feel like they needed to make it a race war. Yeah. To me, it just could have been we're just wiping out the undesirables, which is you get that point. But it, it really felt like it was whites against blacks. Yeah. Not any other ethnicity. Yeah. It was really whites against blacks. I wonder blacks. why they chose that. And the characters were great. The the All the black cast was phenomenal. And that's not me trying to get myself out of a hole here. But I mean, they were the, their comedy. They were hilarious. They were well done. There are so many great one-liners in that segment. But for the most part, it just felt like you know, you guys are really. It really feels like you're going to piss off some people in a movie theater. Sure. And this could turn bad. Hmm. At and, any way. Yeah, there was this uh, character, Dolores. Who was the comic relief? She was so funny. Some yeah. of the one-liners she said. She was the trying... Chris Tucker of the movie kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. you know? She's overblowing everything and making comments and. Yeah, it was um, it was very uncomfortable, especially in the climate that we're in today. I think they were pandering to that, and it was like the government wants to get rid of these poor minorities because we can't s sustain it financially. So that was the whole premise of the movie. And I think people already feel that way today. So I it was like, oh, you're just fueling that fire. Yeah, poking the bear. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like, ooh. And it wasn't Hispanics. It wasn't Muslim. It wasn't Asian. It was it was a black and white movie. And mm -hmm. that's that's really where they they took it. And it got, you know. And when yeah, it, uh, because the people that were supposed to be part of this purge, the government was giving them money to participate. Yeah. So that was like a whole thing. So like, if you stay I, on the island and you survive, I'll give you five grand. Yeah. And if you don't, and, and then and then we're going to let you if you decide to participate and kill people, and we're gonna we're gonna record through your contact lenses. Whoever you kill, the more people you kill, the more money we'll give you. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this really weird. Let's let's now take the the scourge and let's arm them so that they can do more damage and wipe out more of their own people. It was oh, it was very yeah. yeah. So we've given away a lot of spoilers in hopes that you don't waste your money or time on yeah. this movie. It's 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 bizarre. It didn't do well at the box office at all either. It came yeah. in fourth in its first week of release. It came in fourth. Yeah, That's but this movie probably story. cost them. 20 million to make and all they have yeah. to do is make 30 and it's a, a big deal for them yeah, i just felt gross. it was i don't know maybe i'm being too hypersensitive about it but well, i just felt I like just, it i just wonder if movies like that are can I mean, you some, make some can't... people would say i'm going to make this movie because it's going to shine a light on racism in america but i just don't know if movies like that need to be made what good are they and well and i think the difference between if it shines a light or if it's like a bad movie is like is the director black or is it white because if it's like 
a white person that makes the movie and there's all this like racially charged then it's like oh well they're trying to stir the pot but if it's like black people that make it because you see it all the time where this if somebody was like a black director that made it then they're like oh they're shining a light on this is yeah, what it's like to yeah, be in america sure. people yeah. twist it to kind of view yeah, how right. they yeah. fix their narrative you're right they uh took all these uh, militia groups and kind of made them look like they were gangs they're like, where did all these gangs come from? And there was like a scene where uh, a black guy was at a baseball stadium in the middle of the field, and he's getting beat by a bunch of militia guys dressed guys as cops, yeah, dressed up as mm. cops. Yes. And yeah. it's just I like, just what? think it's pandering. Yeah, terrible, it was like, uh, sounds like propaganda. Yeah, well, that's yeah. propaganda. But I get it. Did, did you see uh, Black Panther? Yeah, I saw Black Panther. Okay. Did it bother you at all? No, I thought it was a great movie. I loved so it. So you didn't think... See, to me, I, I thought it was a good movie for what it was, but I also thought if you're going to try to b- build it into the reality of the real world, which they tried yep. to do with the Marvel, I thought there was an interesting point when they're like, eh, where have you been through the race riots? Where have you been through slavery? If this, yeah. this Wakanda has been around all this time and you guys are so advanced... Well, that's the idea. Why are you not taking care of the people? You know that have been. They uh, don't let anyone in or out, and that's why it's like it does so well. It's because they're all geniuses, and you know they just stay out of the affairs of the real world. I guess. Right, but that's that's just as bad, isn't it? If you have the ability to protect and you don't, because ah, let's just stay out of the affairs. But you you're watching your right. your race be wiped out and because that's of, kind of like, and that, I think that happens a lot in the black community. Like if Michael Jordan, for example, gets criticized for not like giving back to the black community a lot. So there are, I feel like, people that do like that are in the black community that don't give back or that don't help but he out. Made Air but Jordans. it's like. Right, but yeah, and then people will be killing people back over here. Oh, that's true. And, <laughs> that's but, true. Uh, but yeah, so I, yeah, I thought the movie was interesting, and I thought it was interesting. That there was like one white guy in the whole movie, and like that they had the black guy as a villain to kind of say like black on like kind of relate to like black on right. black crime aspect of it as well. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was good and well put together for being a Marvel superhero movie. Right, and I, see, I like the fact that yeah, I believe we need to empower and make good representation of heroic. Um, uh, racial yeah. superheroes mm-hmm. and it shouldn't just be all white guys and yeah. white women that are heroes and I get that and I get that that's what they were trying to kind of do with the purge but it, it just feels like do we have to take it to that end where it's it's so racially charged to make that happen Yeah, you know why can't you just be that the purge took place and people in their community came together and said no screw this we're going right. to stop we're going to stop the man, the businesses, these conglomerates. And if they would have shown the conglomerates being all races involved in this instead of just the white, I, I, you know, to yeah, me, and if, yeah, like they back, and if they back off the black and white aspect of it and do include more people, then people aren't distracted the whole movie by going, really, you guys are just pushing right. a race, race riot and that type was of scenario. Listening, and it, again, kind of like I felt like, am I just being too overly sensitive? But when you're listening to the black audience around you, and you can hear that they're picking up on that real yeah. clearly. And they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Is there every white guy's doing something <laughs> horrible. And they're like, mm-mm. I'm shrinking in my chair thinking, oh, this is not a good movie. This is <laughs> shouldn't be dividing people in the audience. No. And you know that you're being judged for, for what they're doing in the movie. It's ridiculous. It seems to be our political climate today. Right. Everyone thinks that at. everything needs to be about race. Well, everything. I will tell you this, and I, I can thank Tevin for it. I'm very pissed off that Jeff Bezos has never given back to the white community. It's really pissing me off. He's worth, you know, he's worth $145 billion now. Times are tight. $145 billion. Yeah, but do you know how you stay worth that? Not no. giving it away. That's yeah. true. You don't give it back to the white Ooh. community? Damn it. No. I, thought we'd I all seriously cash would in. be like happy with $1 billion. <laughs> I think most people would. Get cracking, Bernard. Your wife has needs. I'd be happy with we that. Just open I'd be like, you know what? We can do a lot of good with this other bunch of billions that we don't care about. Tom, you're not even one four hundred and fifty. So that's yeah. between your wife and my wife. Your wife's reaching for the stars. Mine's just reaching for the stucco ceiling. Right. I like that about stucco our stucco ceiling. I really like you to replace the cabinets. Hundred forty-five billion. That's got to be the GDP for some nations. Several countries. Yeah. yeah. For the first time in history, the three top wealthiest people in the world are all from technology. It's the first time it's ever happened. Uh, I believe that. Because uh, what's well, I mean, it, I guess it depends on what Facebook. you mean by technology, though. It's like for a time there, oil was technology. Well, yeah, but I think we're, they're talking about current tech. There was this. There's this new show called. Well, that, there's a couple. One's called buying or selling or something yachts, and one's <clears throat> buying jets. 
Oh yeah. Mm. And this 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 dorky guy and his wife are shopping for a jet because he just, he sold an app that made a lot of money. Oh god. Well, have you seen that meme? It's like it's like HGTV. I love I'm those. A, what, my wife walks dogs and I am a barista. We you know our budget is 2.5 million to renovate yep. this house, right? It's like only on HGTV. <laughs> Uh, it is pretty amazing, but I just... We have both Joe from Louisville and our guest. Well, we're so... going to have Joe from Louisville on first, then we'll put our guest on after the break. That'll be good. We can do that, there right? There you go. Yeah. Joe, you got a minute. Hey, I'll call back. Okay. Well, no. We'll well, just... That was easy. <laughs> I, I put him in that line Andy, on purpose. your phone manners. He's, he's still <laughs> here. Yo. You got, a, got something to say, Joe? Not in a minute. I can call back up to your guest. We'll call back after the guest. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, yeah, why don't we I'll do call that? back next hour. Yeah, the whole hour, I think, yeah. is empty. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Oh, whole Joe was with us at the yeah. at the screening. So he's he going to come on and combat yeah. me on this. Uh, uh, here we go. Here we go. All right. And Tim, that marks your exit as well. Marking Tim. I am out of here, but I'll be on Thursday morning talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson's skyscraper. Skyscraper. Is that metaphorical? <laughs> that movie looks I don't way know. You know, he is so hit and miss after Rampage. I'm curious to see what uh, this one's going to be like. Only so demented Rampage hits a wall. <laughs> looks like every other movie he's made. <laughs> Does it? We will be right back with Deborah G. Plant promoting the book Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo. Right after this, Tom Bernard Show. We are here with Chris Lindahl. What's the latest? Chris Lindahl Real Estate, the real estate brokerage, is finally here. We've declared our innovation independence. Your innovation independence? <laughs> you're, you're dressed independently today, I will tell you that. That's... You look good, man. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have something super exciting for KQ listeners. We are going to give away a free listing side commission now through June 29th. How does that work? So, so we're going to sell someone's house for free. What? Yeah. That's yep. pretty good. Yeah, and it's just a way of saying thank you. And KQRS has been amazingly supportive to the Chris Lindahl brand and now to Chris Lindahl Real Estate. It's a way for us to say thank you. It's also not a bare-bones offer. So everything that Chris Lindahl does to get you top dollar for your house, we're still going to do. And we're going to do it potentially for free for one listener. Now, how do people get that done? How, how, how do they qualify for the – was it a drawing or what is it? it? Yep. So it's so it's a drawing. So you can go to chrislindahl.com. That's Chris with a K. And you can click on the free listing side commission giveaway tab to sign up. Or you can call 763-401-SOLD. That is a wonderful thing. And when, uh, when do they need to do this buy? So the deadline is June 29th. June 29th. And how do they do it? They go to chrislandall.com. That's Chris with a K or call 763-401-SOLD. And I just want to say thank you so much for all of the support during our transition. We're super excited and we're bringing innovation to another level. It is a wonderful thing. Chris Lindahl. Thank you. You're a good man. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Works for me, maybe the greatest singer ever born. Is. What about Bob Dylan? Yes, Bob Dylan. She's better than the Bob. The best singer. I love Bob Dylan. Our very special guest, Deborah G. Plant, promoting the book Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo. Deborah, I have to ask you up front, are most hosts terrified of the book's title? Not at all. Good. Um, Good. They, they're curious about it, and that's one of the questions people ask, like, you know, uh, first of all, they say, how do we pronounce that? And then they ask, you know, what, is, what does it really mean? And so there's more of a curiosity than a terror about it. Good. I'm glad to hear that because it's, it's a hell of a story. Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo is a never-before-published work of nonfiction by Zora Neale Hurston. A landmark work of anthropology, Barracoon tells the true story of a man abducted from Africa on the sailing vessel Clotilda. Is that pronounced Clotilda or Clotida? I pronounce it Clotilda. Yeah. The last black cargo ship to arrive in the United States. So 
Deborah, I just want to hear your take on this whole situation uh, from start to finish. What an interesting story. From start to finish, okay. Well, not from start to finish. I didn't mean it that way, Deborah. If you could just read the whole book to us, that'd be great. Now, it, it, what year are we talking, the last black cargo? What year was that? Uh, we're talking 18, 18, 18, 18. Hey, buddy. We're talking 18. Yep. Yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is uh, the time when uh, Timothy Mayer and uh, William Foster decide uh, they conspired to make that voyage, uh, which was illegal. Uh, it was constitutionally illegal to engage in uh, transatlantic trafficking. Right. They elected to at anyway, and it was during that time, uh, you know, like five years before the Civil War. And uh, so that's the time we're talking about. So that was the last black cargo was just before the Civil War. Uh, yes, as far as we know. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. That yeah, good because point. The, the engagement in this uh, illegal trafficking, which according to uh, the Constitution, was, was deemed piracy. Uh, so many people were engaged, engaged in that. It was, and the United States had um, followed Great Britain in terms of uh, abolishing, uh, at least passing law to abolish transatlantic uh, slavery. But um, the United States, those officials, particularly those who were pro-slavery, uh, they, they were half-hearted about, um, about actually, you know, fulfilling the, the, the regulations of that law. Mm-hmm. And so, consequently, people like William Foster, who was the captain of uh, the Clotilda, you know, they, they did engage in this nefarious activity, uh, even so. And it was because there were so many uh, pro-slavery People engaged in this, in um, you know, this, this this trafficking, and on one side or the other, as officials or as uh, those who were investing in the quote-unquote cargo and all of that, uh, it, it was lucrative on both sides, and so people engaged in, in it until finally it was suppressed. Now, Kudjo Lewis, it talks about Kudjo Lewis, one of the last living survivors of the Atlantic slave trade. He was captured by by women warriors. Yes, well, not only women warriors. Women warriors were uh, what what they called Amazons. They were part of a whole army, and uh, each each part the the Amazons, the female warriors, and the male warriors they they had their part to play in the capture of his town. The women warriors would come in, uh, and they came in around pre-dawn when people were either just waking up or not quite awake, and they entered into their you know, various homes and uh, basically surprised people in their sleep or as they were waking up. And the women went in first to do this kind of slaughter, and which was you know, to destroy whoever uh, would, would fight against them and destroy those who they consider too old or too young, and, and you know, focus on the able-bodied ones. Those who managed to escape the women warriors were then, uh, would be, in one way or another, either killed or captured by the male warriors who were uh, standing sentinel at the gates around the wall uh, of their village. So it was, it was, uh, uh, it was a, an effort with these combined uh, specific tasks of the women and the men together. But it was, yes, the women who entered into the town initially. And Kosala talks about this in graphic detail in his narrative about, you know, how they, how they just sacked the town and how they uh, committed these, these violent acts of, of slaughter and how it, it, the king was decapitated and all of these kind of things. And he, he gives us, you know, this graphic detail of this very traumatic, horrifying experience that he went through. You know, Deborah, it's really interesting. Whoever wrote the bio for the book, 
uh, did a really good job mm-hmm. because they, they bring up all, all these interesting points right in a row. So as an, a, people who, a person who interviews someone, all these things keep popping up in the bio like uh, Cudjo Lewis had a unique vernacular. See, that fascinates yes. me. What was that all about? Oh, that's a big question. So, uh, <laughs> I kind of thought it would be, yeah. <laughs> it is a big question. You know, it, it's uh, one of the reasons, uh, well, I put reasons in quotation marks, but it was one of the issues that uh, various publishers had with uh, Hurston's manuscript. They wanted her to change his language. Uh, they they would you know one publisher wrote we 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 are interested in your your manuscript and we would like to publish it but we want you to write it in language rather than in dialect oh, um, yeah. right so so but the the thing and she would she would not change it and as an ethnographer a social scientist whose whose skill set included uh, the work of, of an ethnographer you know she would she knows that. Language, uh, whatever uh, form or style of language one speaks, that that's a that's a, a, a unique and and authenticating aspect of an ethnographic portrait. And what was really I think wonderful about the language is that it tells us so much. And one of the things we we don't think about, but you know we 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 want to consider is that that vernacular was not uh, Kosala's original language, right? Mm-hmm. He was from Bonte. They didn't speak that in Bonte in West Africa. He was an Isha Yoruba, and therefore he spoke some variety of that language. The question becomes, how is it that this man who, uh, he, was, he was 19 when he was captured, so we mm-hmm. know he was well-versed in his own language. So how is it that it comes about that he's now speaking in this vernacular language? And what that language tells us is a lot about his history and his experience. Uh, It tells us about his effort to express himself, even in a world where he was considered subhuman, uh, where he was basically dominated in every which way, including his language. Um, It tells us about his, his spirit of resistance. Because as a human being, we all have that innate uh, quality of being also linguistic beings. So as a linguistic human being, it expresses his effort to continue in the world, his effort to express himself in a world that was 100% hostile to him. Uh, so, so much of his experience, who he is, what he's about, is encoded in that language. And when you read it or hear it, and you can you you sense um, his 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 soul, uh, if you will, mm-hmm. through the language. You know the idioms, the rhythms, the expressions, right. the pauses, all of that. That that is that tells us something about him, not only as a human being but as a spiritual being, right? And so to rob the the narrative of that is to not only dehumanize him, but it's also to to engage in a his, uh, kind of another kind of historical erasure to take his voice, uh, to take that which expresses his life, his reality, uh, his, his, hum- his humanity. So that's a very big question, and thank yeah, you no, for asking that. No, Deborah, you're, it's, it's a great pleasure. You know, it's interesting to me because um, it brings to mind that people from, from other countries, Americans are all American, Africans are all African, uh, Italians are all Italian, when, as you know, well, let's take Italy. We won't go with America. We mm-hmm. won't go with Africa. You go to Italy, each town has their own dialect. They're not all just Italian. They're a specific kind of Italian, whereas Africans are a specific kind of African. And Americans are a specific kind of American because we all That's speak right. diff- different, with different words, different accents. I mean, there are some people, there are some Cajuns in Louisiana. I can't understand a damn word they're saying, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm from Louisiana, so you better watch yourself. <laughs> oh, I knew it. See, I could tell, Deborah, you, you got that accent, huh? Oh, I, I'm from Louisiana. I'm I know. Cajun, but I'm, I'm born in New Orleans and, and reared in Baton Rouge. But see, so, I, that's why I'm, I brought it up, because yeah. I knew you were. <laughs> well, even here in Minnesota, we've got something called the Iron Range, and I do not understand people. 
no. from the Iron yeah. Range very well. No, it's amazing. So that does that just just take away the soul of the person? What they're attempting to do is take away the soul of who you are, take away your language. Uh, as they all say, they have always said, Deborah G. Plant, that you lose your language, you lose your culture, and that's a very famous yeah. saying, and it's one hundred percent true. Yeah, well, you know the the uh, wonderful part about language is that you can't really lose it. No, that's true. Okay, yeah, they try. Right, and and what I mean by that is even as as Kosala, uh created this, he and his community created this vernacular that Hurston uh, managed to capture for us. In that in that vernacular, we what we have is uh, a combination of. English or American English words and terminology imposed or laid over a cognitive structure of, of grammar that uh, is innately uh, who who uh, Kujo Lewis or Kosala is, right? So so who you are in terms of being a linguistic being, you know your grammatical structure in your brain is laid down by the time you're one year old. You're you're getting. The grammar of your of your village, of your uh, your neighbors, your community, you're getting that in your mother's womb. As she speaks, yeah. that rhythm yeah. becomes part of your cognitive structure. That makes so, sense. so so this this is why we have something called Black English and Ebonics and uh, Black vernacular and African American English because for most of us African Americans, that that grammatical structure from West African language systems, we still carry that. Yeah, that makes so, total sense to me. Deborah, do you? Yeah, and so you. Yes. When you talk to the publisher afterward, are you going to say, look, he went after Louisiana, so I had to go after him? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't go after you. <laughs> no, I, no, but you're right. I mean, I'm from there, too. And sometimes I talk fast. People tell me, you talk too fast. I don't understand what you're saying. There you go. Deborah, so, do, do most so, interviewers have a yeah. tough time hanging with you and understanding what you're talking about? Because I luckily knew something about this subject. And I, and I love language anyway, so I've studied language my whole life. Do a lot of interviewers really can't, can they comprehend what you're even talking about? I, I think they do. I mean, uh, they ask the question, and, and usually the question <clears throat> arises out of why wasn't uh, the manuscript published originally in 1931 when uh, the, the draft was, was completed. And, you know, and that raises the questions of dialect language and that kind yep, of thing. Yep. And... Uh, so on some level, yeah, we, we, we get into to that discussion. And, 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 but to your point about everybody has her his own dialect, this is true. And when, you know, the, publishers, the publisher wrote and said uh, we would like it in language rather than dialect, first of all, it's assuming that, you know, language is what the average white American speaks and that what uh, Kosala was speaking was a dialect. But... That language that the average white American speak, and I don't know who is average in America, but mm-hmm. you know, right. when we look at what's called the language of the establishment, that's a dialect too. There is no one speaking anything that is anything other than a dialect. Mm-hmm. It's just some are elevated where others are not. Absolutely true. Deborah G. Plant, uh, a fascinating subject. It was great talking to you because what I'd like to do on this show is kind of, kind of lead people down the path that we all can communicate and we all can understand and we all want to hear each other's stories. I just don't like the political yeah. climate in America right now, Deborah. I don't like the far left or the far right. I just wish they'd leave us all in the middle alone. That's what I wish they would do. <laughs> well, you know, uh, America is having some problems, and, uh, and it has to do with exactly what you're saying, this inability to uh, basically understand the other itself. You know, I have my language, you have yours. Uh, I have my cultural customs and traditions, you have yours. Why can't we not at least acknowledge that and understand that they all have their relative equality? We don't have to compare and, uh, you know, create some kind of hierarchy, which which is best and supreme and all of that. That's where we get into trouble. That's where we have problems. You should run run for president. (laughs) <laughs> Deborah like Plant for president. <laughs> Deborah, you're she a great sense. guest. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. It's great talking to you. It, I, I'm, I'm very happy to be with you and talk with you, and thank you as well. Thank you. Barakun, the story of the last black cargo, Deborah G. Plant. We'll be back.
Tom Bernard. <laughs>